Welcome into Maroon and Bold. I'm your host and your sports editor, Austin Chastain for Central Michigan Life. And with me on the Zoom call, we've got our, sport, our top sports reporters, Christian Boer and Evan Petzl. Gentlemen, how are you guys doing? You know, I'm, uh, I'm hanging in there. It's kind of interesting, you know, doing all this stuff over Zoom and um, online and um, a little bit different, but, you know, I've kind of picked up on it, you know, pretty well. We've had a couple weeks now, um, really even almost actually more than, a, more than a month we've had now. So it's been a while. Um, but things are going good, you know, just, uh, just, you know, hanging in there, trying to get through, uh, through all this, like everyone else, making sure family members, loved ones are all good. And, um, you know, besides that, just chugging along. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's, it's been a little bit of a challenge getting used to having to still go to class, but only, the only thing you got to have is your computer. I just gave a presentation today online. And of course, the one day that my internet's not going to work, it was today, but we got through it. And like, like I said, it's been an adjustment, but you know, it's something that it's something that, that makes you appreciate the value of going to class and building a relationship with your teachers and, and that sort of thing. And plus, you know, when, when all this is said and done, I'm not going to take any more gatherings with friends, family, anything like that for granted, because you never know when something like this might happen again. Yeah. I, you know, I've said it the first couple of weeks that we've been doing this. I'm uh, Christian. I'm right there with you. Actually, both of you guys, I'm right there with you, you know, it, it's just been such a, a very it's just been such a tough adjustment i mean don't from going to class you know four or five days a week to oh now we get to do all of it on a line um finding that motivation that's been a really tough thing um and i know it's been a tough thing for a lot of people so guys uh, the nfl draft went down last weekend um we were we were right christian and i were right with our with our top three picks with joe burrow going to the Bengals, Chase Young going to the Redskins, and Jeff Okuda going to the, to the Lions. What did you guys make? Uh, we'll kind of just focus on the first really, the first three picks here. What were, you, what were your guys' thoughts uh, on, on the NFL draft? And, you know, they were doing it on, online just like we're doing our, our show here today. You know, what were some of your guys' thoughts, Christian? We'll start with you. Uh, yeah, I thought that it was certainly a, a pretty cool experience to watch these guys break down film and break down tape from, from their living rooms or their offices. And it was, it was certainly something that I, I found to be real interesting. You know, you had Roger Goodell by about the, about the third round. He was mailing her in. He was calling her quits. He, he had resigned his lawn, his lounge chair. Um, it was, it was creative. It was innovative to see the way that they put that together. And I'm sure that, there are countless people behind who deserve a whole lot of praise for how they handled it and how they cut from person to person. And there, there must've been a billion zoom calls going on between these guys. And so I, I applaud ESPN and NFL network for, for the job they did given the circumstances. And as far as the picks go, uh, it went pretty chalk for the first five or six picks. Things got a little bit crazy late, but as far as the first round goes, it was, it was to be expected for the most part. No, yeah, I, I agree. And I think, you know, ESPN did a great job with everything that they did. I mean, besides the fact that, you know, maybe every pick seemed like it was a, a damn obituary. I mean, there was mm -hmm. so much, you, you guys saw it on Twitter. I mean, they, people were kind of going after ESPN and I understand why, um, in, a, in a way, I think, you know, T Higgins, the wide receiver, um, you know, coming out of Clemson, there was something about his mom battled drug abuse for like 16 months, or I don't know if it was 16 years, 16 months, whatever. It was some, something 16. And like, I just remember I looked at that and I was just like, okay, like, yeah. cool you know I mean I don't know it, it was interesting it was kind of weird that way but 
Um, you know, speaking to the, the picks in general, I mean, really looking down the, the list of the guys that the Lions picked up, I thought they had a really good first, um, you know, first couple days. I think their first and second day were, um, you know, were excellent. I mean, I really liked the, the Jeff Okuda pick. I think, you know, there really wasn't a trade to be made and a, a good trade to be made that, um, you know, guaranteed that Bob Quinn could get the guy that he wanted. So, you know, you go with Okuda and you, you take the best player off the board. It's a position of need. I think there's, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, so that was a, you know, that was one where maybe I would have liked to see them trade down if they still think they could have got Okuda, but you know, maybe then you worry that you're not going to be able to get him. And, um, you know, I mean, who, who knows what happens after that, but they went and they took the best player on the board at the time. Um, and it was a position of need. I'm happy they didn't go with Tua. I think, you know, going with him one would have kind of been a, you know, a, a slap in the face to Matthew Stafford. I think you're trusting now that you're going to have your quarterback back, um, and, and good to go for another, you know, what, three, four years. I mean, it kind of shows you that that's the guy that you're going to stick with, you know, going forward, despite some of the injury struggles that he's had. Um, but man, that, that, that second round pick was the one that I was um, really blown away about. You know, I, that, that was probably my favorite pick of this whole draft for the Lions was just because, um, you know, even though DeAndre Swift was the second running back off the board um, and LSU running back went um, in, the, in the end of the first round, I, I still think DeAndre Swift is, is probably the best, probably the best running back in the draft class. I mean, I think he was a guy that, you know, definitely could have, def- definitely could have uh, gone in the first round if, um, you know, if things would have shaken out a little bit differently. But I think if he's there, uh, like he was at 35 overall, I think you got to go after him. So the fact that they were able to see that out and, and think on their feet there and go get him was was really impressive. And then going into the third round, you know, looking at Julian Okwara from Notre Dame. I mean, I know that was a guy that you know maybe some people were kind of you know worried about just because of the fact that um, you know he has had some injuries in the past and and stuff like that. Um, and they also, people also wanted them to go with the defensive tackle, you know, early in the, the third round and maybe take care of that need first. But I like him. I mean, his brother's on the team. So I think, you know, when you have, you know, a family member there, I mean, who knows how much that's going to help him, you know, learning the playbook through this time and, um, you know, kind of figuring things out. Cause I know it's a totally different world now than, than maybe it was before. And, um, just getting a chance to learn, you know, learn how the defense operates and, um, you know, that's good. He's got a good pass rushing ability. The Lions have needed that, um, but, I mean, obviously they were looking for maybe a D tackle or, or an offensive guard. But, you know, I like the fact that, you know, they got this hybrid linebacker, a, a guy who can really come up on the line and, you know, jump the gun and get after the quarterback. I like it. I mean, I think the first three picks are pretty good. Um, but obviously, like, my, my big, you know, I guess if you wanted to ask me, like, which pick stood out to me the most of, of the first, you know, three rounds, um, and obviously Jonah Jackson, you know, going at offensive guard. But I think it's got to be the, the, the pick of going and getting swift. I think that's just a, a great pickup. Um, and look at that. I mean, you match him up with Carrion Johnson. Carrion's been injured, um, you know, as of late. He missed a lot of last season. I think it just gives you options. So I'm a, I'm a big fan of what the Lions did this draft. I mean, maybe a little bit later on, if we want to get into the later picks, there are some things that maybe I, uh, I have concerns about. But um, I thought it was a stellar, uh, stellar first three rounds. Yeah, and, you know, a lot of people, I think, would agree with you. It's kind of been that running joke um, that the Lions – draft you know another offensive tackle or you know some, somebody that they don't necessarily need um, but I think you're right you know they went out and got some guys that they needed you know they got a great cornerback in, in Jeff Okuda you argue whatever um, that I, I agree that DeAndre Swift it, it was surprising but then you kind of look at you kind of look at the Lions backfield like you were saying Evan they, they definitely need a I guess a steady force in that backfield. And I think DeAndre Swift's going to be the guy to do that. Um, right. Some people, some people would disagree with that. And DeAndre, I mean, he was really, he was, he was a star at Georgia. Um, 
I am surprised, though, that more running backs didn't get picked a little bit higher. I know Clyde Edwards-Alaire from LSU was picked in the first round and then, and then Swift early in the second. But, you know, guys, you know, like J.K. Dobbins or even Jonathan Taylor, a guy Evan and I saw live down or over, over in Wisconsin, I'm just a little bit surprised that more running backs didn't come off the board right away. But that's a totally different thing, keeping kind of focus on the Lions. And they wouldn't actually got Quintez Cephas, a guy that forged Central Michigan when they played at, at Wisconsin. Big time get for the for the wide receiver. Oof. Oof. That's the pick I don't that's the pick I don't like. Really? Yeah. 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 I, 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 all, right, all right. Both Chris okay, both Christian and Evan don't don't agree with me. Christian tells I'm, I'm generally wrong about most things and that's okay. So why why don't you guys like that pick? Yeah, he's got a history. You know, there was, if I'm not mistaken, there was a little bit of a sexual assault issue, and there was something else that's not fine. But I know that he was he was acquitted of both of both of his. There's that red flag that, hey man, you uh, you get in a situation where in college there's a little bit of a of a of a more restrictive environment and you get out there in the NFL on your own and, and you can slip up again. And so that's why I think that, especially when you got a guy like Donovan Peoples, who's a hometown kid, yep, I yep. would have liked to have seen, to have seen them go after who, and, and the thing with Peoples Jones is that he, the numbers weren't great in college, but he also didn't get great quarterback play. And you throw him in there with a guy like Matthew, he can, he can take the top off defenses because you look at his athletic ability. He had a great showing at the combine and there's not a whole lot of red flags there with people Jones. And, and then you take it like Cephas, who, I mean, maybe a little bit better playmaker based on sticks, but there's all that off the field stuff that kind of makes him look a little bit scared. Well, here's my take too. jumping in on that is, um, you know, you speak about people's Jones, right. And the athleticism that he has, and you know, he had a really good combine. Quintus Cephas ran the slowest 40 yard dash at the combine among wide receivers. Sorry, but, like, I just don't see the upside there. I, I, think, I think if you're looking at a wide receiver with, um, you know, with a ceiling that's high, I think it's Peoples-Jones. I mean, I think just based off the athleticism, the size, um, you know, the skill, his ability, you know, to, to work in multiple positions as a wide receiver and, and, and you know, even potentially give you options as a, as a returner if you need to. I mean, he, he returned at Michigan. I think he gives you the option to use that as well. I, I think, you know, Cephas, yeah, the history, you know, adds in there, and I, I get that, but I think the biggest thing for me is just like from an athleticism standpoint, I just don't think, you know, Cephas is the most athletic guy. I think maybe Cephas might be the most ready tomorrow. Um, you know, if the season started tomorrow, I think Cephas might be more, let's just say like ready than Peoples Jones. But I think if you want to give a guy a year to grow and learn and develop, I think, I mean, down in Peoples Jones, sky is a limit for that guy um, just based off of, you know, what he can do from an athletic standpoint. Um, I mean, like you, you, like you said, Christian, I mean, he just crushed the combine. So, uh, I, I'm not a big fan of the Cephas pick at all. I mean, I, I think that was a that was a mistake. Um, but like I said, that was that was kind of when I when I alluded to it earlier. I kind of said, eh, I'm not really sure about you know how I feel about the later rounds. That's really the only one. But that that's a big that that was a big you know downfall for me. That was a big that was a big one that I kind of shook my head at. But I mean, I, I don't have a problem with like round three Jonah Jackson like going to get a guy that played at Rutgers for a while and then went to you know Ohio State to to finish out his career. I mean, I mean he's probably a, a round two guy based off of his talent and he fell to the third round. I mean, I'm, I'm taking that all day long. I think Logan Stenberg from Kentucky, um, I mean, that's a, that's an all right pick. Like I don't got a problem with that. Um, you know, coming in as an offensive guard, I think, you know, it kind of contests the, you know, contest some of your starters. I mean, looking at Joe Dahl, 
you know, once he's back and, and back from his injury like that, you know, who, who knows, like who knows what kind of test, you know, Stenberg's going to be able to give him. And, but obviously Cephas in the fifth round, what one pick that jumped out to me that I want to ask both you guys about was Jason Huntley from New Mexico state. We saw him too. Um, when, when the Chippewas played against, uh, against them, I mean, second running back, that was kind of another one we'll kind of say, like, you know, why you double back when you have Perry on Johnson, Bo Scarbo, you know, Ty Johnson, um, you know, that, that are already going to be on your roster. Um, so how do you guys feel about the Huntley pick? Like, I don't really know if I have a problem with it, but it does kind of just like jump out to me as, you know, semi-questionable in, in a way. I mean, because realistically, I mean, what, what the, what's the point of the pick when you have Carry on Swift and then you have Bo Scarbo? I mean, unless you really think that Huntley is going to be able to compete for that third spot on the roster and you're going to have two rookies, uh, you know, as your backup running backs and, you know, then you, what, you just tie Johnson's out the door. I mean, obviously, the, you know, the top of running backs will really matter. Or do you just stash Huntley? Like, what's really the point of that pick, do you guys think? I think that it starts a little bit with um, his ability to maybe make plays in the return game. I know that he, unlike a lot of the guys from the from the smaller conference, New Mexico State's an independent, but he was able to have a pro day. And he, mm-hmm. in all things, pointed to the fact that he had a really good one and a good showing at that. And you take a look at maybe, is he better than some of these small school guys that, uh, probably not, but because he got the chance to to show out one more time in front of these NFL scouts, he put a, put himself a little bit further up on the on the radar of some of these teams. And as far as how the Lions are going to use him, I think that really him in the mold of like a Stephon Logan, who maybe you use him once or twice in a jet sweep uh, yeah. a game, and then you, you hand him the, the the keys to your return game and say, "Here, here, go make a play." So, I really can't tell you. Carry on ahead of him. <laughs> Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, he's, he's got the speed. I mean, he's got the speed to be able to work out of the jet sweep and, and do some things there. I mean, it's possible, but I just found it interesting. Yeah, I mean, I yeah, agree. I, Sorry, bud. Go ahead. Yeah, I don't, I don't really know if there's a spot for him in the backfield because if Scott shows out again as that third running back, then really, Carbro's got more power. Grant's got a little power as well and Swift has both power and athleticism so as far as out of the backfield I I it's kind of crowded back there it, yeah agreed I mean I I when when I saw that pick get made that late my, my mind kind of jumped to you know potential preseason go-to guy which I know is not something that you really look for in an NFL draft but that's kind of where my mind went like okay we're in the third quarter of a one score game we can go try to win this thing you know that's what the coaches might be thinking and hey let's throw let's throw Jason in there and, and see what he can do uh, but yeah I agree you know once the season pulls around he could get used in that kind of jet sweep package like we, you guys were talking about and really be um, a good guy for the uh, for the special teams unit 100% agree um, I don't I don't know if like if that was if if Huntley was necessarily the right pick, I don't I don't have a suggestion for anybody else. But um, you know, I don't think I could make that case for anybody else. But I think it was a uh, I think that's a pretty it's a it's a good pick given the circumstance. I think I've got another interesting question. If if you don't mind, you know, Austin, can I, can I throw one up? All right. So thoughts on potential of DeAndre Swift starting over Kerryon Johnson. Now, Swift, obviously, you know, back-to-back, thousand-yard rusher in the SEC. I mean, 
like when he got his grade from the the combine, um, you know, year one quality starter, like that was his grade, um, you know, overall. I mean, runs a four four eight vertical jump of what what is it here thirty five point thirty five point five inches broad jump one hundred twenty one inches. Like a guy that's got some speed, but he also has some size to him at two hundred twelve pounds and can you know can you know really do a good job of bouncing off some guys. I mean, I don't think he's you know that that guy that's going to walk around like a stick. I mean, he's definitely going to be able to pack a punch. Um, but he's also, you know, he, like I said, he can run downhill and, and he, he can move. I mean, is this a guy that you think could possibly maybe make a move for starting job, just knowing that, you know, carry on has had his, his injury issues and, and that's sort of an ordeal any chance, or do you think there's no way? Yeah, oh, I think there's, I think there's a really good chance. Um, you know, like you said, I mean, what we were talking about earlier, Swift had a pretty, pretty solid career, uh, out in Athens, Georgia. So he could, I think he could easily step into that starting role given, you know, the, um, I can't quite think of the word, but I guess the inconsistency of health, I guess, of, of carry on Johnson. I right. think, I think Swift could easily be the day one starter for the Lions. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I think that, you know, the Lions, there, cause there were, there were other options and players of need available early in that second round, and Bob Quinn, they didn't really hesitate. They went right after Swift, and so there's obviously going to be a place for him. And all it really takes for him is, is a good trainer to show these guys that, hey, I can I can play with these guys and carry on. Man, I mean, they wouldn't have signed guys like Bo Scarborough and even J.D. McKissick last year if, if they didn't think carry on needed a safety net. So right. at the very least, he's going to get a lot of touches early on. And so I – wouldn't be surprised if day one he's out there with the first team offense. I think it's interesting too because a lot of people, you know, you look at Carryon Johnson and and I feel like a lot of them, you know, saw what he was able to do in a couple of games and it, and it really, you know, especially in the 2018 season and were really like shocked by it. But looking back at the numbers, I mean, it's not like he he blew up or he was anything you know over the top, right? I mean, for his career, he's only got a thousand rushing yards and six touchdowns. Like, you know, 2018 he had 641 yards and three touchdowns, and then last year. Um, you know, 403 rushing yards and three touchdowns, and that was you know 18 total games in his career. Like he he not, he hasn't really solidified himself in any way. So that's kind of one of the things that jumps out to me is like, yeah, you know, we all talk like you know Johnson's this back that's you know the real deal, but he hasn't really proven himself to this point. And so I think um, you know at least to be able to have that respect of the, the locker room to say, yeah, you know, I'm I'm the guy going forward, and everybody knows it. I don't think that tag's been placed on him yet, and and maybe by some fans it was early. But now kind of looking at the fact that they bring in DeAndre, they're bringing in DeAndre Swift, and it, it kind of changes your mindset and makes you think twice about it. So, yeah, I mean, I think there's going to be a, a definite battle there. Um, and going along that, too, I mean, looking at adding depth to the running backs, I think like, if there was one spot that I would have liked the Lions to add more, like I think, you know, I don't know, I, I think they could have used another, another wide receiver, like instead of that Huntley pick or, or not picking, you know, Quintus Cephas. Like Kenny Galladay is great. Marvin Jones is great. Um, but I would have liked to see them pick up somebody to kind of slot in there and try to be a guy that, you know, would kind of fit somewhere between where, where Marvin Jones plays and, and Danny Amendola and get somebody that could really be like a solid third. Um, Amendola's not bad, but, I mean, if they could have grabbed an extra stud just because of how much Matthew Stafford passes the ball, I think that would have been kind of cool. But, I don't know, we'll see what, we'll see what Cephas has to do. But anyway, yeah, I, I'm, on the, I'm on the DeAndre Swift train. I'm all about it. Right on. Now, last note about the Lions – uh, I guess a typical grading scale of A through F or whatever you want to call it. Where would you guys grade the the Lions draft? I I'll start. I'll give it. I'll give it a. I'll give it a B. 
I think they filled a lot of, of needs that they, I guess, needed. Um, but I think they could have also went a couple of different directions with some of their picks, like we were talking about with, with Cephas. Um, I know I said he was a good pick. I, I, I mean, just watching him on the field, I think he was pretty good. I agree with Evan. He's, he, he could be ready to go right now. Um, could they have gone after People's Jones? Yeah, I think they probably should have. Um, but I, I'll give it a B. You guys have the floor. I'm right there with you. I think A, a minus, A minus, B plus. That that range I think is good. They did a good job. I, I love the picks of both uh, uh, the two guards there. The one that sticks out to Stenberg. Mm-hmm. And all the things I've been reading about him with, I think it was Dave Burkett put out a piece about about him being the meanest guy in the draft and him being a mean guy who will go plow holes. He's going to play as many snaps as he can and just try to round and really beat up whoever is across the, the field from him. And so that's one thing that I really, really like. I think that in, in past years, Lions have, have liked to go the more fun and them showing some interest in getting Stenberg, I think shows that maybe they're trying to change their scheme from just uh, an air raid and hand it off two or three times a drive to we're going to try this thing down the field and them getting swift and then a couple of heads of to go with it. I love that. Uh, I'm a huge fan of the, the Cephas, and I think they reached a little bit on Huntley as well. So that's what brings it down. But I'm still in the A- minus B plus range uh, for Bob Quinn in a draft that they needed to know. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I'm going to go with uh, – I don't know. I mean, I guess I'll go with a B-plus on this one. I mean, I really like the first three picks specifically, looking at, you know, going out and getting Okuda, getting Swift, and then getting Jackson. Um, you know, obviously going out and just, just really firing out the gate and grabbing, um, you know, what I, what I would consider would be, you know, the three best players on the draft board at the time that the selections were made. And I think that was key. I mean, obviously – and they all filled positions of needs, and that was the other big thing too. So I think, like, when you combine both of those things, um, yeah, man. I mean, like that's 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 what you want to do is you want to be able to fill needs, but also get the best guys that are available. And I think they did just that, especially with those first three picks. Um, yeah, Huntley pick was a reach. Agreed. Don't like Quintess Cephas. I think you could have passed on Huntley. Maybe you got another wide receiver um, just to, to help out Matthew Stafford and just give him options because you know knowing how much they like to throw the ball that that's going to be really big. Um, but yeah, I mean, maybe go get another receiver. Um, if you're going to stick with, you know, Quintez Cephas and, and drop Huntley, I think you could have got like a, you know, I think you could have got like a priority free agent, um, you know, an undrafted guy with just as much of an upside as Huntley. So that's the only reason that I kind of am knocking that. But, um, but yeah, I mean, overall, good pick, man. You know, good, it, was, it was good stuff. So I'll give him a B plus. Right on, right on. Um, you know, one of, one of the guys that didn't hear his name called throughout the entire weekend in the 155 picks a guy that we we talked about last week, uh, somebody that could be drafted or could possibly not be. CMU's Jonathan Ward, former running back, uh, twice eclipsed the thousand yard mark rushing. Did not hear his name called, but he almost immediately signed an undrafted deal with the Arizona Cardinals. Um, Christian, we'll start with you. You kind of brought brought that to our attention, what, uh, what, what, for both of you guys, 
but we'll start with Christian. Like I said, what were your guys' thoughts um, initially when you heard that that Ward was going to make the trip down to Arizona? Yeah. So the first thing I thought was, okay, who do they have? Um, and and that points to a kind of a, a mindset where Arizona has a lot of unproven talent down there. And, and in terms of running back, I know they've got Kenyon Drake and Chase Edmonds, who both had really, really good games at points last year. But again, Drake bounced around. You know, he was with the Dolphins for a little And so I think this is a good situation for Ward to hop into because you've got a veteran guy like Kenyon Drake who can, can mentor you, but his production isn't nastic to the point where making the roster is and Ward could go down there and win over the coaches. I know the Cardinals also took a seventh round running back, but seventh round running back undrafted free agent, you're barely in the uh, in the same ball. You're both competing for the same job. So Ward goes down there and does what he did as a senior or even as a sophomore when he played that game breaking fairness and athleticism then then he's gonna be able to go down there and get a crack at this fifty man fifty man roster. I think Arizona fit for him. I think that they like to play wide open. Obviously, you got a lot of talent down there. Kyler Murray, DeAndre Hopkins. And then you, so I think it's a real good him. And it'll be really interesting to see how he does down there in minicamp and and see if he gets a chance at the 53-man roster. For sure, yeah. I think, too, the biggest thing, and this is all looking at Kenyon Drake, like you mentioned. I mean, a guy that came out of Alabama, um, you know, in the third round of the 2016 NFL draft. And, um, you know, this is a guy that's interesting to me because, you know, especially when, um, you know, he was in Miami, like the biggest thing was, you know, splitting time with people and trying to, to figure out, you know, how to, how to be, you know, prove yourself as a number one back when you're splitting time because he was doing that. Um, he was doing that in Miami. And then I think, too, like even look back and you, you take a step further, and you go back to Alabama and like, you know, he was backing up Eddie Lacy and TJ Yeldon. And then, you know, as a sophomore, he was backing up Yeldon and then, you know, got injured. And then the year after that, he was backing up Derrick Henry. So like he, he's never really been a number one back. And I think that's kind of like the biggest thing that maybe, you know, Jonathan Ward might have to his advantage is just the fact that, um, you know, maybe that causes, um, maybe that causes Kenny and Drake to, to stumble a little bit and, and gives Ward a chance. I mean, obviously Ward shared the backfield too. And like, no, no doubt about that. But I'm just saying from the fact of, you know, watching a running back in front of him, you know, you know struggle a little bit more to get an opportunity. I think that might be, you know, this might be a good spot for him in general because if there's not, you know, he, he isn't a proven, you know, number one back. I mean, he's definitely a guy that can make plays um, in, the, in the passing game too, looking at, looking at Kenyon Drake. And, you know, he's never really been a formidable, you know, number one. So um, as opposed to going somewhere, obviously, where there is a number one guy that's a veteran guy and has been there, has proven himself over the last couple of years. I think this kind of leaves things a little bit more wide open for him. So there's a positive in that, I would say. But, um, yeah, I mean, we'll see what happens with, with Ward. I mean, I think he definitely has the talent to, to do something. He definitely has the skill set um, to, to make something happen. I mean, we'll see how he keeps up. It's a, it's a, different, pace of, it's a different pace of game. I mean, you talk about um, just how much different, you know, the, the Mid-American Conference is to, um, you know, the Big Ten and, and how much different the Big Ten is to the SEC, right? So there's like – um, there's, there's a big difference when you're looking at, you know, different guys on, on rosters and, um, it's a jump. So we'll see, he's going to be making a big leap going from the Mac to the NFL. I mean, that's a different, that's a different type of story. And some guys got it and some guys don't, and we'll, we'll really get a chance to see, um, you know, once football activities are able to resume again, what, what Ward is going to be all about, you know, in, in this move, 
Um, that's kind of my thoughts on it, though. I mean, I think he's got a good shot, but, um, you know, we'll, we'll see. He's going to have to work his butt off, and he's going to have to catch a few breaks, and that's kind of how it happens sometimes. You know, that's, that's how it happens in life. you got to catch some breaks sometimes. Exactly, exactly. So I'll, I'll pose this question, two-part question, not really related, but were you guys shocked or maybe not shocked to see him go undrafted? And then the second part of that question is, do you think he can make that 53-man roster? Do you think, like, this guy is going to do exactly what he needs to do, catch those breaks that he needs, and do what he needs to crack that, crack that roster? Yeah. Yeah, I certainly do think he can, he can get on that, that final roster. I think that the first thing he needs to do is to, to go out there and prove that he's a better player than Eno Benjamin the, that they drafted. And, and go out there and show them that, hey, I'm a better, you know, you, you didn't, but you still got me. And now look, I, I am better than this dude. And, and I think that I wasn't particularly shocked that he didn't get drafted. I thought there was always a chance. I figured he had the best shot anybody that was coming out of Central Michigan. But at the end of the day, not having a pro really hurt. You know, 332, di- 332 dudes did get combine invites. He won one of them. And there's only 255 picks in the draft. So you go out there and you see a guy like Jonathan Ward. He doesn't get another shot to go show off in front of scouts like a Sean Bunting did last year. Or, like, even better, Xavier Crawford got to go out and show out in front of the scouts. And, and Ward didn't get the opportunity. And so then, like Jason Hunt, up ahead of him and so it wasn't that he didn't get drafted but he's in a good situation there's definitely a chance he goes down there and makes a 53-man roster down there in Arizona yeah there, there's a shot that um, that he makes it obviously I mean we'll see what happens I don't want to pass too much um, on him but um, you know at this point just because we'll, we'll see how things shake out but um, but yeah, no, I mean, I, I really wasn't surprised to see him go undrafted. I mean, I talked to his agent a little bit before the draft and kind of said, he kind of said, you know, we're looking anywhere between like six round and, um, you know, priority guy to go get after the draft is over, um, if he goes unsigned. And, and so, um, you know, when, when you hear, uh, when you hear an agent say, you know, six to, to priority, um, you know, you, you kind of lean more towards the priority side. Um, so I, I wasn't expecting to see him. I wasn't paying too close of attention for or to hear his name, you know, in, in the last couple rounds, but. Um, but I assume pretty quickly you get picked up and that's kind of how it went down is, is right after the draft. I mean, you know, I was talking to his agent for a quick second and he, he just said, yeah, I mean, there was offers. He just jumped right out. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, I think it's a good move, you know, overall for him to pick him up. We'll see if he makes it. Um, but yeah, I mean, it hurt. They didn't have a combine, but a lot of people didn't have a combine. So, um, you know, or a, a pro day, excuse me. And a lot of people didn't get invited to the combine that are, you know, down that, that late in the draft. I mean, that's kind of expected. And I don't think, um, you know, looking at his numbers I, I, from college, I don't think he really deserved a, a combine invite. I think if he has a better 2018 season, we have a totally different story we're talking about here because um, that 2018 season really killed him. We, we talk, I talked about that. Um, who was I talking to? It was, um, what, Jim Costa over there at the radio station. Uh-huh. And, um, and we, were, we were chatting. I remember it was right before the 2018 season started. And, you know, he said, you know, do, do you think he's going he's gonna to leave after this year? And I was just like, I mean, if he has another season like he had last year, I mean, there might be well, – there's a possibility if he can take it to the next level. And if he can go for, you know, if he can go for, what, 1,500 yards on the ground and, you know, maybe catch for, for 300 and put together, 
you know, some 15 touchdowns. I mean, there, there's a shot that he could, you know, he, he could make a move and, and get out of here early. And then he just absolutely flubbed that 2018 season with some injuries and um, obviously one eleven season. And I, I don't know how mental, how, how much he was there, you know, from a mental standpoint after some of those injuries and just trying to get back into it with a team that, that can't, that can't win is, is difficult as well. So I think if he has a better 2018 season, he's definitely a combine guy. He's definitely a top four round, you know, type of a guy, a, a talent like that. Um, but again, I mean, he, he didn't have, he didn't have a good season there and he really had to kind of re- revive himself this year. So from that standpoint, am I surprised that he went undrafted? No. Do I think he had the chance though? Yeah. Cause it's still, the skill is still there. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree. Um, you know, I will say that, he, you know, he missed a couple of games in the 2019 season, still ran for over 1200 yards, which was impressive. Um, but I agree that 20, that 2018 season was just, it, it was one to forget on so many levels for CMU and, um, you know, for, for, for Ward, you know, one of those things that you just kind of, you just, you just move past and then kind of put it in the rear view mirror and hope you can crack that roster. I think he, I think, he, you know, I agree with you guys. I think he has a shot. Um, at the end of the day, do, do you, I think he makes the Cardinals 53 man roster. Maybe not. Um, he might be put on the scout team with the Cardinals or go, go elsewhere. Um, but, you know, I could, I could see him. I could see him, like I said last week, I could see him making, um, making some, some, some moves somewhere and doing uh, whatever he ends up wanting to do. Uh, I could see it happening. I could also see him, you know, getting cut from the, the Cardinals and saying, eh, you know, maybe NFL isn't quite for me. Let's go try something else. A couple of Chippewas in the NFL making making some waves. Uh, we'll start with the big one, Joe Staley. 13 years with the San Francisco 49ers, six Pro Bowls, two Super Bowl appearances. Announced his retirement uh, from the NFL. Evan, uh, you know, we, we talked about it before we went on, before we started recording here. You know, what... I guess your initial reaction to Staley retiring and, you know, what, I guess how much, how much do you think he means to, uh, to the CMU's legacy? No, I mean, he, he means so much. I mean, look at what he was able to do, um, you know, further than a, than a personal standpoint, right. Taking care of himself. I mean, they, they really turned that program around. I mean, they, when he got there, it hadn't been, um, you know, since the 1990, 1991 season that they had back-to-back, you know, winning seasons. And so he comes in there and, in you know, three as a tight end. And I mean, man, the way that, you know, Paul Longo, the strength conditioning coordinator, and, and I got a story after we hear Christian's reaction, I, I wrote a story for, um, about, about it and, you know, kind of had a chance to talk to Paul Longo. So it's it kind of a cool little story that I can, I can tell um, once we get Christian's reaction. But anyways, so they, they move him to, you know, they move him to offensive tackle. And like, you know, the way that he was able to, to really – just protect the quarterback and really provided, you know, so much help to that line. And, um, you know, I mean, he was the, the, the first guy ever drafted out of central to go in the first round. And, um, you know, I think when you have a, a player that's that good and can really bring together an offensive line from a young age, like he was able to do and show that leadership um, so young, I mean, that's key. Um, and, and, and listen, I mean, they, they ended up winning a, a Mac championship in 06, you know, right before he left and, you know, going from a team that hadn't had back to back winning season since the 1991 um, you know, seasons. I mean, that, that says a lot. And I think the fact that he was the leader of that team and the leader of, of that offense. And I mean, gosh, look at, 
you know, the, the way that he was able to, to work with Ken Smith, the, the quarterback there, and then, you know, Dan LaFever, who is Christian's favorite player, um, like ever, um, you know, Dan LaFever comes in there as a true freshman in 06 and just lights it up. Like, you don't do that without a good offensive line. Like, that doesn't happen. That's just not for, – for a college quarterback to do that, I don't, I don't care how good you are um, or, or, or what your talent level is. Um, you, you normally don't do that. You don't see guys that are freshmen come in there and just absolutely, you know, light it up. And to be able to have that protection up front and, and to know that, um, you know, your blind spot was all good and like just being taken care of by, by Joe Staley, like, you know, he's not there. I don't think they do the same thing that they did. I don't think, I don't think that Dan LaFever does as well as he did his true freshman year. And I think you're looking at a totally different central Michigan team and they really turn things around. They, it means a lot too when you get a guy drafted that high as well because you know there's there's that appeal there's that attraction you can sell that you know that that's something that you can sell in recruiting pitches is hey look this guy did it like you can too they couldn't say that before then so I think in in a way that was a huge turning point and I think it really helped them out as they led towards you know going into the Antonio Brown era and going into um, you know just just that group and and even going on to, to Eric Fisher right I mean you know Eric Fisher's a guy who went number one overall and I, I don't know if he's I don't know if he goes to Central if Joe Staley didn't go to Central. I mean, I don't know too much about, you know, Fisher's backstory, but I don't know if that's a decision he makes. I mean, maybe he saw what Staley was able to do and figured it was a good fit. Um, you know, maybe that's even why they targeted a guy like Eric Fisher to bring into the program, right, is because they saw what Staley did. And I know it wasn't the same coaching staff, but you can still look back and see. So, in a way, yeah, I mean, I think it was huge. I think it meant a lot. Um, and he's just a good guy, too. I mean, everything that I've ever heard about him was was just excellent stuff. But, Christian, man, I mean, I know you were a big fan of those teams back then, and um, I know you were young, but you kind of watched them as you grew up, maybe closer than I did, um, or Austin did. So what are your thoughts on all this, and, um, you know, what do you think it meant for CMU? Yeah, I, I had a chance to watch. It had been Lefevre's first game ever when Boston College came to town, and you know, my dad kept telling me about this Joe Staley, this Joe Staley guy. And of course, maybe if I were, maybe I was even four years old at the time, no clue what he was talking about, but it was cool. And as I got a little bit older, I started to hear about this Joe Staley. And and without him anchoring that front line, Central Michigan definitely, I mean, they definitely go down, do not go down and win that MAC title. And that part of a, of a group there with Lefevre's class that won three MAC titles in four years. And then they went 3 and 0 in MAC championship game without a without an anchor like a Joe Staley that, that, that never gets hit for the program then then they aren't in this position that they are in today where they're recruiting you know, Detroit so well and they're recruiting you know Rockford and Grand Rapids so well and even West they do really well recruiting and I think Jim McElwain's kind of vibe that but it doesn't get started at all if not for a guy like Joe Staley who who serves as an anchor for the offensive line, we all nothing can get nothing can get done without a good offensive line. Yeah, I, you know, I feel like I'm kind of beating a dead horse here, but I 100% agree with you. I don't think so. My my mind, as as we as we've been talking here, my mind went back to Mac Media Day before this past football season. We were talking to Jim McElwain. He said we have to focus on our offensive line because the offensive line at Central Michigan. If I remember right, he said it's the Bucks. It's it's fantastic, and I don't think CMU has that reputation of a solid offensive line without Joe Staley. I, I kind of copycatting from what you guys were saying, but that same kind of idea is that you don't have that reputation of one of the best 
we'll take a you know in the past 20 years or whatever you want to say you don't have that kind of reputation without a guy like joe staley so and he's been a, a great you know ambassador for cmu someone to point to and say hey this is this is who you can be if you come here so you know evan i think evan touched that very nicely and he put together a, a really nice story uh, over in the detroit free press for uh so tell tell me tell us a little bit about that story. You know, you had alluded to it. Um, you're just talking about Staley, but what was that story all about, man? Yeah, so just kind of like running through it. It was all about how you know Central Michigan really like made this guy, right? I mean, he made Central Michigan, obviously, but um, you know, in a way, but Central Michigan really made him, and they they kind of revitalized his game. And um, it kind of centers around Paul Longo, who's the strength conditioning coach, who um, you know had been doing it. He, he's now recently he recently just retired, um, but he was most recently with Notre Dame and like. He's been doing this thing for 29 years, so he he knows his stuff. But um, back in 04, he comes into the program with Brian Kelly, and it's just like, you know, they see this guy who's a 220-pound sophomore tight end, and it's just like, yeah, this guy is not a tight end. Like, he's athletic as, as hell, but he's not he, – he can be so much more. And, um, you know, Paul Longo was the first one to point that out, and, and, and Brian Kelly wasn't didn't, didn't want to lose – didn't want to lose Joe Staley as a tight end though. He didn't want to lose his most athletic player to the O-line. And um, the quote from Longo that he gave to Kelly, because Kelly first said, you know, kind of no, like, I don't think that's a good idea. And, and then Kelly kind of said, you know, well, why do you think, why do you think we even should? And, and Longo said, quote, well, he's going to be the best left tackle in the country that's going to put us on the map. I mean, who's Central Michigan? End quote. And that, that kind of, for me, like, that jumped out to me right away was, you know, Paul Longo knew that this guy was going to be the best left tackle in the country. And, um, you know, he had worked in the past with their guys um, looking at Ross Verba and Robert Gallery at Iowa, and he transformed them from tight ends to offensive tackles. And both those guys were first-round picks. He promised Joe Staley that he'd be a first-round pick if he, if he moved to, to the offensive line and, and played tackle for him. And so anyway, so he, he, they kind of eventually get convinced Brian Kelly. And, um, you know, then Longo's got to, uh, you know, convince Staley. And um, Staley wasn't too sure about doing it, but um, decided, you know what, I'll, I'll give it a shot. I'll do it. And some of the teammates that I talked to, said that was like the most selfless move they've ever seen anybody make because this was a guy that played tight end at Rockford High School and um, was uber athletic. I mean, he could run even though he was 220. I mean, he could move. And, you know, from that perspective, it was like that, that's where he felt comfortable. Um, but I know all of his teammates like still respect him to this day for making that position change to help the team. And, um, you know, ends up going from, from 220 to 300 pounds. And, you know, he's just eating food like he's starving. He's doing gain protein days and lifting twice a day. And the biggest thing, though, that, like, made him so effective as an offensive tackle was the fact that he never lost that speed. So he ran a 20 – he went he ran the 200-meter dash in high school um, and set a school record with 21.9 seconds. Uh, that was also placed sixth in the state. So when you're looking at a guy like Joe Staley that ends up going from 220 to 300 and doesn't lose the speed and doesn't lose the quickness, um, that was the biggest thing. And that's a lot of the stuff that like, were, you know, Longo worked with him on as the, the strength conditioning coach was just kind of teaching him like, you know, how to gain weight, but then how to, um, you know, start to feel comfortable again. And the, the mentality was, you know, as soon as you get to like 260, you know, you're going to feel, you're going to feel fat. Like you're going to feel way too big, um, you know, than, than what you're used to. But then you go back to 255 and you just lose five pounds. You feel like you're 240. So it was kind of going through those periods and, you know, getting him where they wanted him from a weight standpoint, but he never lost the speed. And so, you know, being able to have that attribute was, was key. And then, you know, you saw, you know, when, when Joe Staley gets a chance to, you know, go to the combine, go to the, um, you know, go to, go to an all-star game uh, postseason and, 
and do some different things. Like that's where he really showed up and shined, right? Because he was a guy that was looking at, you know, as a, as a first, second, third round pick. And then he runs a four, a four, seven, nine second 40 yard dash, which is the fastest among all offensive linemen until his record was broken in 2013. So you have a guy that runs that fast and, and that, that really just kind of like, you know, the, the light bulb goes on in all the scouts head and, and, and you really start to want him. That's how he was able to slide up there in the first round and solidify himself there. And, you know, some of his assistant coaches said to, you know, that the speed was the thing that helped him become a top pick and, you know, stay successful. And um, it's kind of cool though, you know, coming full circle and looking at, you know, how this guy is, has never really changed. I mean, he's always been a giving back kind of a guy. You talk about the selfless decision that he made to, you know, switch positions and move to offensive tackle. And, you know, now he's retiring because, you know, the, the injuries are starting to catch up to him. And, um, you know, he missed nine games last year um, due to injuries and, and, you know, wants to be with his kids. And he has two daughters and they're both pretty young. And just to be able to see them grow up and be with them and spend time with them. I mean, he's only 35, but that's why he's retiring. And it just seems like, and that, that's kind of how I end the story is just, you know, it's yet another selfless move. Like just like when he was at Central and he decided to switch spots and, and, and did that for the team, you know, now he's doing this for his family. So I think the fact that, you know, he hasn't changed and he remembers his roots of being a, you know, a guy from, uh, you know, from Rockford and, and a guy from Central Michigan that nobody thought about as a tight end and um, all the things that he did to, to better himself, right? He still thinks about giving back and, um, you know, just just kind of giving back family first. I mean, all those kind of things. So I think it was, it was a cool start that I was able to put together, but um, obviously a lot of help from, you know, some of the coaching staff there and, um, you know, some of the, you know, some of the players that he played with, but yeah, I mean, overall, man, just like love the guy's story. love what he's all about. I mean, I think he's a great ambassador for CMU um, and, and obviously a, a story career, 13 years in the NFL, all of them with the 49ers. He played in two Super Bowls, six Pro Bowls, um, you know, he kind of did everything you would have ever wanted. Um, 2010's all-decade team. What more can you ask for there? I mean, if you're on the all-decade team, you had a, you had a damn good career. So, um, you know, tip of the cap to Joe Staley. Yes, sir. Absolutely. Yeah, that was my, you know, I guess my first thought was, you know, just a quick tip of the cap. It's, it's, you're absolutely right, Evan. That's a hell of a career. And, um, you know, excited for uh, – for Joe Staley and what he can do to uh, move along a Grand Rapids kid from one Grand Rapids kid to another um, way to go. Um, on the, on the, another front in the NFL regarding a CMU or former CMU player, Kayvon Frazier, um, moving on from the Dallas Cowboys goes to the Miami Dolphins. Uh, just quick note. I mean, do you think it's, um, you think the Dolphins are a good fit for Frazier? I know he didn't necessarily see a lot of playing time uh, with the Cowboys, but um, good move or not so much? Well, where he makes his money is not special. You know, he he, great takes. He made his thing in the NFL with the Cowboys. He's like a special teams ace. He goes down there. He's the first guy down the field on a punt to go down there and make a tackle. Uh, he does a real job with that, and the Dolphins love him because they, they made him a priority. They went out and got him. So he, uh, he'll he do something down there in Miami. I, I imagine he'll be down there. He'll either lead Gunner on a punt team, probably a, a flyer on the kickoff team as well. So, you know, will he get a whole lot of reps in the defensive back backfield? I think remains to be seen. But at the very least, he's going to be a special teams ace down there. And I think that's one way that a guy who – come small school, can carve out an NFL career. And I think Kayvon Frazier is, 
is becoming kind of that model example for a guy that you don't have to be super good at everything to make a living in the NFL. You just have to find a niche and do it to the best of your ability. And I think props to Kayvon Frazier for being able to do that because he's now in what, his fifth year in the NFL and contract, which a lot of guys from these smaller schools don't get. So props to him. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think he really got, you know, kind of, kind of nipped in the butt by that, uh, that injury in late September that he had. And uh, I know he had a couple, you know, tackles on defense before that happened, but um, you know, kind of got nipped in the butt there and that, that, that sucks. Cause you know, you never want to go down like that. So didn't really get a chance to do a ton last year. And I think that was the, the biggest thing, right. Is when you don't get to do a ton and, you know, coming up on a, a year where you gotta, you know, teams got to figure out what they're going to do with you and, you know, to not be, not be re-signed is understandable, especially when you have an injury like that and you haven't truly, you know, shown up and, and shown out, but, yeah, I mean, there's definitely options for this guy. Like, if I'm if I'm looking at uh, if I'm Miami, I mean, I'm I'm cool with this pickup. I think he just adds a little bit of value. Um, you know, he's not gonna you know sit back there and um, you know start at safety and you know probably be a you know you know be a wrecking ball back there and, and do a bunch of damage. But he does a little things. I think that's big. I think you always need a couple of those guys on the team that can do do those things on special teams. Um, you know, can can fill in on uh, you know on defense there in the secondary here and there when needed. Um, and just a guy that, you know, you can call on for a couple of plays and feel confident in, right? And that, that's important. I mean, maybe you don't put him out there the whole game, but, you know, having him slide in there here and there, but then also on special teams, just he's kind of a reliable guy. So I think that's, that's what really benefits him. And I think that's why he was picked up, you know, by, by the Dolphins and why he's going to you know, be able to make uh, some type of impact there. It's just because of the fact that, you know, you kind of know what you're getting and you can count on it. Um, so I, I think that's a, a good move and I'm, uh, I'm excited to see how he does. Yeah, me too. Um, you know, I, Grew up a big Cowboys fan, so it's it's sad to see uh, Chippewa leave the uh, leave the Cowboys roster. But I think he'll do I think he'll do very well in Miami. Uh, last note, guys, uh, I would be completely remiss if we didn't at least touch on it. Um, former Chippewa Mike Dana uh, transferred to Michigan for one last season after uh, three at CMU. Drafted by the Super Bowl champion, Kansas City Chiefs. Just real quick, um, I mean, he's obviously a, a guy that's is a pretty big deal um, with, with the CMU community. Maybe he didn't have as big of a year with Wolverines as he may have wanted, but he still ended up uh, finding, hearing his name called um, uh, during the NFL draft. Uh, I guess a typical question. Uh, good pick. What do you guys – what do you guys think of Dana to the Chiefs? I thought it was a little bit surprising to see him go as high as he did simply because he didn't have a, a super big year at, at Michigan. But I give him all the credit in the world for betting on himself and lead to the Big Ten. Didn't get as much playing as he would have gotten here. If he was at CMU, down, you know, every single snap kind of guy. And he jumped into a pretty loaded rotation down there and never – but still, hindsight's twenty twenty, and so after the fact, we hear that so many teams were in on this guy and saw him as a late-round steal, kind of a guy that you can develop and mold. I think that's what made him a little bit more valuable than some of the other guys out there. But, you know, I'm excited to see what he can do in that Kansas City defense, and I'm sure that Andy or company will have some sort of role carved out for him and season, and then maybe even into the regular season, he'll be, he'll be getting some snaps out there as an edge rusher and It'll be cool to see how he does. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think if he would have stayed at Central Michigan, I mean, you're looking at a third-round pick. Like, I, I really, I really truly believe that. I mean, a guy that had, what was it, like 14 tackles for a loss and eight and a half sacks in 2018. 
um, you know, on, I mean, a terrible team. I mean, gosh, I mean, it was awful. So, you know, you're, you're really the only spark plug there. And I think, but I think that's kind of like a nod to you in a way, right. Is if you're, you know, the only one that was able to produce on a team that was so bad, like, I think that kind of says something about, you know, the way that you, who you are as a player, right. I mean, he, I mean, gosh, I mean, just the way that he led that team, the way that he was able to force turnovers and put the ball back in the offense's hand, but yet again, you know, nothing would happen. I think that says something, you know, about, about him as a guy that, you know, can make plays and, and can, can kind of be that highlight reel type of a guy. Um, but yeah, I think the move going to Michigan, like, um, obviously, you know, looking at it now, you kind of shake your head. I mean, looking at it then, it was like, okay, maybe. But I definitely think, you know, he stays at Central. He's a, he's a definitely, definitely uh, a third-round guy, um, if not a second-round guy. But, I mean, it, it worked out the way that it did. Um, you know, and he kind of got stuck in a situation at Michigan where there really wasn't, there really wasn't much, much spot for him to play. I mean, knowing that he was, you know, kind of like the third guy there on the depth chart, the fourth guy. And um, that's a tough situation to be in because it's tough to, you know, make that leap. Um, you know, just in the course of one year when you're coming in there without knowing anybody and, um, you're not being super familiar. So I think that was kind of a, a knock to him and something that, you know, I think hurt his chances was that he went to Michigan and did that, but didn't really, you know, show up with it. Many people expected, um, does he have talent? Yeah. Um, but I've loved to see what he was able to do with the defense that central Michigan had this year. I mean, my gosh, yes. I mean, looking at the way that really were able to, to, um, you know, to make their mark. I mean, looking at Kyron McKinney Harper, like just having him in the, you know, having him in the secondary um, and for, for the year that they have him. Um, but having him there and, and Troy Brown at linebacker and, you know, getting another year with Michael Oliver in there and, um, you know, obviously having Sean Adesanya, you know, on the, you know, at the end spot. And, uh, you know, they did have some other, you know, some opposing defensive end, you know, situations with, you know, Amir Sadiq getting injured. And then they had to throw Troy Harrison up there. But just seeing those two work together would have been, you know, really, really interesting to see. And then obviously they brought in, you know, Muhammad Diallo and, you um, just some different guys that, that are impact players on that line. So to see him, you know, form with those guys would have been really interesting to see. Obviously, we didn't get a chance to see it, but I mean, I think he'll do all right. We'll, we'll see how things go. I'm not overly optimistic on him, you know, in the NFL, but um, I guess time will tell. Yeah, uh, just a quick note. I mean, this is a conversation we could have another day, but you know, Dana st- sticks around for one more year at CMU. You could very well argue that they go on and win that MAC championship and maybe see a higher bowl game than, than what they did. But, um, yeah, you know, I thought it could be a good fit. I'm kind of, I agree with Christian here. I think the chiefs can find a spot for him. Like he's, like he's been saying, carve out a role. Um, so I, and you know, like Evan said, time will tell, uh, he, an absolute star, he could not be, you know? Um, so it'll just be, it'll, it'll, it'll be fun to watch. I mean, every year there's, um, always, story or two um, in the late rounds that end up being absolute stars. So uh, will that be Mike Dana? Again, only time can tell. Guys, um, any any final thoughts as uh, we're getting ready to wrap up here? I don't know. That's it for me, man. I mean, I, I don't really have anything else to touch on. I don't have anything else to touch on in terms of uh, – terms of the draft or in terms of, you know, Central Michigan or, or anything like that. But, man, I mean, obviously, you know, the, the biggest thing um, right now and in, in with what we're living in is just to, you know, everybody to stay safe and everybody to stay healthy and check on your loved ones, make sure they're all good. And, um, you know, it's just something that we got to we gotta do together. We got to stick together and we got to, you know, follow these guidelines and, and get it done and, um, you know, obviously praying for the best. So um, I appreciate you guys having me on, though, you know. Let me, uh, let me jump in here and chat a little bit. It's been fun. Christian, you got anything, my guy, or 
you you all set. No, sir. Just everybody stay safe. All right. Well, everybody stay healthy, and this will all be over with soon enough. Absolutely. Well, Evan, thank you for uh, taking some time, jumping on the show with us. It's great to uh, great to see you. Great to chat with you, Christian. Same to you. Always always fun to always fun to talk sports with you. Um, want to thank our, our podcast editor Ben Ackley as well for sticking with us and and working around trying to record each episode um, of Maroon and Bold as he has all school year long. So thank you for that. Um, we uh, obviously to all of our listeners, we hope you guys are staying well and doing the things necessary to uh, you know to kind of get back to normal and hopefully have some football in the fall. Uh, other than that, you guys know where to find us. CM-Life.com as always. You can follow us on Twitter at CM Life Sports and at CM Life. Find us on Facebook at Central Michigan Life. If you can find CM Life Sports on Twitter, you can find all of, all of us reporters very easily. Just take care of one another and we will talk to you guys again and we meet again. Thanks, guys.